Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning again, Church for All Nations. Woo! My name is Pastor Ashley, and I love, love, love getting to be here with you all. You look good. You can say thanks. Receive it in Jesus' name. (laughs) No, we're in the middle of this awesome series today. We are wrapping up this series that we have called Better. Everybody say better. Better. And the idea is that Jesus himself taught that the thief of our souls, the enemy of our souls, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus said he came that not only would we have life, but we would have it better, right? We would have it more abundantly. And in the original language, it actually means bigger, bigger than Ashley living just for Ashley, bigger and better. And we've gone through all kinds of amazing subjects. But today we thought on this last Sunday of this series, we would tackle the really tricky one. At least it's tricky for me. It might not be as tricky for you, but it's this idea of better faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Better faith. Now, faith is a pretty big deal. Wouldn't you agree? Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians that we, as followers of Jesus, are to walk by faith and not by sight. And Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So why is faith so hard sometimes? Anybody other than me struggle with faith from time to time? Yeah, it can be insanely hard. And I think that part of why faith can be so tricky is that life doesn't always turn out the way we think it's gonna, right? Or even the way that we think it should. In fact, sometimes, sometimes, We know that we know that we know that God has promised us something and or we know that we know that we know that God has shown us that we are to walk into something. But when we come to that door, it's closed and often it's locked. And how many of you know that can be insanely disheartening? How many of you have known that God has shown you something, known that God has promised you something, and yet when you go to walk into it, you find a closed door? Well, I'm going to blow your mind theologically this morning because some of you have actually believed fully that if a door is closed, and you've even said it out loud, Well, if the door is closed, it must not be God's will, right? I've said it. I've said it before. And this last month of study, the Holy Spirit has wrecked me over this concept because he's shown me that to truly live a life of faith, it will often include closed doors and sometimes even locked doors. And let me show you why I say this. Look with me in Matthew 16. Jesus is teaching his disciples what it looks like to live a life of faith. 
And he goes into details after this passage of exactly how. But before he goes into those details, look at what Jesus says to his followers. Starting in verse 19, he says, I will give you the, what? I will give you the keys? Why would the Lord give us keys if every door in our life of following Jesus was going to be open. Why would the Lord tell us that he's giving us keys if every door that we are supposed to walk through was already swung wide? Think about that for a second. Let it sink in. This idea that actually walking a life of faith often includes closed and locked doors. But I want you to see this next word of this scripture because Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Jesus himself is the key to the kingdom. Jesus himself is the way that you and I can walk into the kingdom. It's the only way. He is the only way. But some of us have said yes to Jesus and walked into the kingdom of God, and we are hanging out in the lobby. And Jesus said, well, no, 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 I've got all these promises for you. I've got all these promises. And we're saying, oh, but Lord, the doors are locked. And he said, I gave you keys. But which keys? And that's where some of us get stumped. What do you do? What do you do when you're given a big old set of keys and a locked door and you don't know which one unlocks the door? What do we do? We start trying them, right? But some of us in this walk with the Lord tried the first key and that one didn't fit. Okay. All right. And then we tried the second key. Well, that one didn't work either. And then guess what we do? We give up on the door. Even though we've got lots more keys, we give up on the door. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Talking about living better faith. It's one thing to give up on a door. When we give up on a closed door, we give up on everything God has promised us that we know he's told us is ours that's waiting behind that door. But some of us, more than giving up on the door, have given up on the keys. We said, oh, I, the, the, they didn't work on that door, so forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. And some of you walked in here this morning thinking, this Jesus thing, this faith thing, none of it works because that one key didn't unlock that one door. And God said, here's the problem with giving up on the keys. When you give up on the door, you're just missing out on the promises behind that door. When you give up on the keys, you're missing out on every promise behind every closed door. So today I want to talk to you about living a life of better faith. And what does it look like to encounter these closed doors? Hey, you know what it looks like. Pastor JF and I know what it looks like. 
It's devastating. In fact, sometimes it can feel like walking through a dark valley when, clo- when doors are closing right in your face. And the psalmist describes this in the 23rd Psalm. Look with me there. Psalm 23, I want to start in verse 4. Because I believe the psalmist is unpacking for us what it felt like for him to encounter a closed door. David knew exactly what it felt like for God to promise him something and then for it to shut in front of his face for a time. Amen? For a time. Start with me in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Some of you are in that darkest valley right now. That door that you knew was going to swing wide open because you knew God had promised you that and instead it slammed in your face. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Underline that. We're coming back to that in a second. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to start by looking at verse 5 this morning. I want to look at verse 5 where the psalmist says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How many of you got to meet my precious mom when she and my dad were here not long ago? A few of you got to meet her. She was the little blonde that sat on the front row with us. And at one point, she was kind of sitting in the back. Uh, My mom is just incredible. I get that I'm biased, but she's just the best of the best. And she's also the quintessential Southern belle. Okay, not only does she talk with that deep drawl, I can turn it on. Hey, y'all, I love you, C-Fan. I love you. (laughs) I love you. She also oozes with hospitality, which is part of the Southern way, right? And so whether you walk into my parents' house at 8.30 in the morning or 8.30 at night, within 2.5 seconds, my mom will have a spread of food in front of you. And I don't care if you tell her that you are not hungry. She's going to bring two meats, at least three vegetables, two of which will probably be deep fried or in a casserole. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all don't even know. And, And easily five desserts. Now, out of these desserts, four... We'll have the word salad in the name, but there ain't no vegetables in those. Y'all don't even know about congealed salads. Just wait till we have a potluck. I'm going to hook y'all up. You don't even know. You don't know. Jello is a food group in the South. Jello mixed with whipped cream. Come on. Come on. My mom can prepare a table. 
unlike anyone you know. And for me, most of my life reading this passage, that's exactly what I thought the psalmist was talking about. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I want to unpack something for you here today. Because some of you are going to have a little bit of an issue with what I'm unpacking, because I'm going to unpack some research for you here today, and it may sound drastically different than the way that you were taught this passage. But I want to explain to you, every rabbi on the planet will unpack for you that scripture, even, even one verse, has at least 70 faces. In the similar way that this big fake diamond has multiple faces and facets. And so today I want to present to you the idea that I'm going to give you this face. But that doesn't mean that these faces of this passage don't exist. It means today we're going to look at this face because scripture is that multidimensional. And I believe our God is big enough to be a God of yes and, right? So when I was unpacking this and I thought, Lord, I don't fully understand. Because here in the 23rd Psalm, you have a shepherd boy, right? You have a shepherd who is writing this song or psalm. And the entire psalm is full of shepherding or sheep pictures, except for you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How many of you have ever seen a sheep sitting at a table in a chair with a fork and a knife and a spoon? Anyone? Yeah. No, there's, there's a disconnect there. But the deeper I dove into research, I found that that might not be the case. In fact, in the Middle Eastern shepherding culture, there's a type of next level place that shepherds desire to take their sheep if they're willing to follow. It's a next level lush pasture unlike any other. It's a place of the richest food. It's a place of the most nourishment, of incredible water supply. It's called a plateau. And these plateaus are found throughout the Middle Eastern desert. But here's the key. They require preparation. They require the shepherd going ahead of the sheep and making sure that large rocks or holes, anything that would cause the sheep damage or disaster, that prey are removed, predators, traps are set. And so the shepherd must go before the sheep to make sure that these plateaus are taken care of and safe for the sheep to be herded into. These plateaus are also called mesas or tables. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I think so often, even when we understand and believe that God has that next level plateau, that next level mesa table, 
Next level blessing, next levels of everything he's calling us to. When we know that that exists behind that closed door, so often we are upset because we're under attack. And yet scripture said that he prepares that table in the presence of who? Our enemies. We only get to that next level in the midst of battle, in the midst of undergoing that type of attack from the enemy. And so today, I want to talk to you about that idea of better faith. Believing and understanding that the good shepherd truly is preparing a next level place for us. And while that door may be closed right now, he's also given us keys. And that's what I want to talk about today. Three keys that I believe are unpacked right here in the 23rd Psalm. Right here, directly after the psalmist mentions that next level table that the Lord is preparing. Let's pick back up at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The very first key that we want to talk about to better faith. Key, the key to unlocking closed doors where promises of God are on the other side is inviting his anointing. Invite his anointing. So often we use churchy words like anointing, and sometimes that goes over our head because we don't necessarily use that word every day. But anointing literally just means applying oil. Applying oil, that's all it means. And in scripture, Oil is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so when I talk about inviting his anointing, especially on this celebration of the day of Pentecost, I'm talking about inviting the Holy Spirit into every facet of our lives. Inviting the Holy Spirit into everything we do, everything we plan, every part of who we are. And I want to talk about briefly this idea of the rod and the staff and the comfort that they provide. I have with me today the best version that I can find of a rod. And I want to talk about this idea of the rod and the staff comforting the sheep because some of us in this place have believed an a lie of the enemy, a blatant lie. And that lie is that if we allow the Holy Spirit into certain areas of our lives, he'll be mad at us and punish us. It'll bring about some sort of punishment. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is the exact opposite. The rod and the staff bring comfort. But you know what? I can relate to that because I remember being five years old, maybe. And when I was growing up, we actually didn't have, and a lot of you are similar, we didn't have car seat laws. So I was one of those kids, one of the last kids that literally never sat in a car seat. I've never sat in a car seat my entire life. I sat on the arm rest, like hump, we called it the hump. I sat on the armrest 
between my parents in the front seat of the car my whole life. I know. Can you even fathom? It, it's crazy to even think about. And I remember going on a road trip to see my oldest brother. He was graduating from Oral Roberts University. And I was, I was little. And we were all in the station wagon, right? The, the wood paneling on the side. So fly. Uh, and I was that kid that was climbing between the front seats and the back seats and the front seats and the back seats. And I remember they had the, the cigarette lighters in the back that you could punch in and then it would like pop out and be hot. And I was playing with it. And my dad, Ashley, leave the lighter alone. Yes, sir. And then I pushed it again, right? Because it's a button. You have to push it. And I remember pushing it again. And this time, and my, my siblings, I, my two siblings are literally watching me the whole time just shaking their heads, you know? They're way older. And this time it popped out, but the thing popped out onto, like it popped all the way out. And I looked inside and it was red inside of there. So what did I do? I stuck my finger right in that thing, knowing my dad told me not to touch it, knowing that he said to leave the whole thing alone. And what did I do? I, and you know what? I heard it before I felt it. Stuck my finger. Oh. And I pull my finger out and the whole end of it is black. It was burned to a crisp. And my siblings in the back seat are crying. They're laughing so hard because they knew they knew that there was no way I was going to make a peep because then my dad would know that I disobeyed. And I'm not kidding you. In the front seat, my dad said, what is that smell? It was totally my skin. Burnt skin. I remember hiding it. I, I had it in my little Hello Kitty purse and I hid it like that whole day and it hurt so bad. And after two days of hiding it, it kind of started turning green. And my sister's like, you got to tell mom and dad what you did. And so finally, you know, I'm like, uh, and they both were like, what? even though you disobeyed, we still want to bring healing to you. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Even though you have disobeyed, even though you've made some wrong choices, some crappy choices, even though you're suffering some consequences of some of the stuff that you've done, the Holy Spirit still desires to bring healing to you. He still wants you to draw close. When I say invite his anointing, I think it's important to understand what the rod and the staff are actually used for in shepherding in the Middle East. The staff, most of us understand that because it has the hook on the end, and that is to pull the sheep close when they're going the wrong direction. But the rod, which looks a little bit more like this, that's one that we get mixed up. Because so often we think that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they are ready to beat us into submission. And that's not who he is. And in fact, that rod and the comfort that the rod brings has everything to do with this beautiful picture 
This beautiful picture of the sheep trusting the shepherd so much that the sheep is willing to finally draw close. And when the sheep draws close, the shepherd takes that rod and puts it down the center of that wool and parts all that fluff. The shepherd parts the wool, the things that everybody else sees, all the fluff that looks so pretty to everyone around. And he looks deep inside, deep inside to those innermost places to see if there's disease there on the skin, to see if there are pests. And what I found was so interesting because apparently in the Middle Eastern culture, the sheep are often plagued by these diseases that, again, can't be seen on the outside until you get down deep. And sometimes these pests will irritate the skin so much that the sheep are literally tormented to the point that they will ram their heads into sides of cliffs or run off the cliff themselves. Doesn't that sound like our culture? Getting to a point where we're so tormented by those things that other people don't see, those things that we keep hidden under the fluff, those things that we make sure are all covered, and yet we are tormented until we let the shepherd part through the fluff and see what ails us. You anoint my head with oil. There's a cure that shepherds use on these sheep. It's a combination of olive oil and linseed oil. And I love it because it's a continual anointing. It's not a one-time thing like David's anointing to be king. It's a continual everyday anointing. And what it represents is healing of the diseased places. It represents ridding the sheep of those pests. And what I love about the continual anointing is when it's continual like that, the pests can't come back. They can't live where that oil resides. And so I want to tell you today where you are so fearful to allow the Holy Spirit to enter, those dark places that you don't want anyone to ever see, the Holy Spirit says, let me in. I will bring healing and restoration, understanding that we are to invite his anointing. There's no coincidence that the oil is first applied to the sheep's head. No coincidence at all, because when we allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our thinking, it literally changes everything. And that's the next part of this passage. Psalm 23, 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. That's our second key this morning. Recognize your overflow. Recognize your overflow. We have a choice in the way that we see things. Amen? We have a choice in our perspective and the way that we view things. And it truly, that choice can change so quickly, can it not? If you follow my husband, Pastor JF, on social media, yesterday you saw a video on his Instagram story of our four-year-old Fulton playing on the back deck with those mega Legos. I, I don't let them have the little Legos. 
because I, I hate standing, uh, stepping on them. Anybody with me? So we have the big ones. I know, terrible mom, right? And so I only let them have the big ones. And so uh, he was playing with the Legos and Pastor JF had videoed that and it was uh, super fun. But what you guys didn't see was the conversation to get the Legos out, okay? So we were downstairs in the playroom and Fulton said, mommy, I want the giant Wegos. I love giant Wegos. Can I please play with the giant Wegos? And I said, yes, Bunny. And he, both bags, can I please have both bags? Okay, bud, but here's the deal. I know you love giant Legos, but you have to put all the Legos away when you're done playing. Okay, mommy, I promise. I promise, because I love Wegos. And so he played for a good hour or so. We had a little blanket out on the deck. And then when it was time for him to put the Legos away, Fulton, let's put the Legos up, bud. Got to put them back in the bag. I'm not even kidding. In fact, I looked at my husband and I went, well, there's my story for tomorrow. Because our four-year-old son commenced crying his eyes out and screaming, I hate Wegos. Why did you buy Wegos? Are you kidding me right now, kid? No, mommy, I, I don't want Wegos ever again. Our views on things can change like that, right? And you know, Papa Bentain used to always teach, and I love this principle, what we give attention to grows. And so it matters what our eyes are connected to, especially in regard to faith and these closed doors. Look with me at Psalm 100, starting in verse 3. Scripture says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the, oh, there's this picture again, and the sheep of his pasture. Now look at verse four. Enter his gates. Do you know what another word for gates is? Doors. Enter his doors. How? How do we enter his doors? What's the key? What's the key? with thanksgiving, with shifting our thinking, not to what we don't have, but to how much our cup overflows. Stopping to look at everything the Lord's done in our lives now, not what the Lord's done in her life or his life. No, no, no. Lord, look at what you've done in my life. My cup literally overflows. Not looking at what my cup lacks, but how much it overflows. And that is how we are to enter into these doors. As the band comes back, I want to look at this last part of the 23rd Psalm and we'll close. One of the keys to close doors in our lives not doors that the Lord has closed because he's protecting us. Closed doors that hold promises 
that God has given us, things that we know that the Lord has told us are ours, keys that we are to continue trying over and over, not giving up on the doors or the keys, inviting his anointing, his Holy Spirit into every single part, recognizing our overflow. And the last part, starting in verse five, you prepare a table before me. You'll never view that the same. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. Lord, your continual Holy Spirit is healing. It's protecting. It's covering me. My cup overflows. Surely, meaning I am certain. The psalmist says, now that I have allowed the Holy Spirit in my life, now that I have recognized how much you've blessed me, Lord, now I'm certain that your goodness and your love, some translations say mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that in the original language, and I've taught this to our women before, that term will follow me in the original language actually means chases me. Present tense, chases me. Lord, now that I've shifted and I allowed your Holy Spirit to enter every part of my life, even the dark hidden places, even the things I'm so ashamed of, even the things that I'm kind of nervous to even let you in, Lord. Now that I'm starting to recognize how much my cup overflows, now I'm actually certain that you chase me. Not your judgment. It's not your judgment that chases me. It's not your punishment that chases me. It's your goodness. It's your love. It's your mercy. And they don't just, do, 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 do. no, no, no. They chase me. And that's the third point. The third key of faith, of better faith, a better understanding of what God has for you behind the open and closed doors is let him catch you. Let him catch you. Let him catch you. Has anyone in here ever heard the story of the boy who cried wolf? It's kind of an old school one. Yeah. Uh, what about the three little pigs? Yeah, a few more of us. Those are stories that are taught from childhood, culturally, to teach cultural norms, right? The idea of the boy who cried wolf is to help children, all the way to adults, understand, don't tell lies. The three little pigs, I think the concept behind that is put the work in, in the beginning, and it'll pay off, right? Did you know that there were stories like this throughout Jesus' time as well? And the vast majority of the parables that Jesus taught in were actually versions of stories that every person listening knew. For the most part, Jesus didn't tell new stories. He just changed elements in these well-known stories to really place impact. And one of my favorite ones is the one that we call the prodigal son. And I love this one because
because in the original story, the passage, the entirety of the passage is taught to teach the value of keeping laws of community. Keeping laws and how important that was. And in the original story that would have been known by children from preschool on up. The original story went something like this. There was a father with two sons. And one son came to the father and asked for his inheritance. Now my understanding is this wasn't disgraceful. It was allowed. It wasn't him telling his father he wished he died and nothing like that. It was allowed, but it came with consequences. And the son understood that the second he took that inheritance, he was leaving community and he could never come back. For the sake of community, he could never return. And there was one exclusion to this law. And the exclusion was pretty rare. But the exclusion read that in really rare cases, if the son came back, he could only be allowed to come back as a slave and never anything more. And in the original story, the son takes the inheritance, goes and squanders it, ends up sleeping with pigs, which to a Jewish culture would be the lowest of the low. He stands up and he says, you know what, being a slave in my father's house is better than this. So I will go and beg him to please be the exclusion. And in the original story that every person listening to Jesus that day would have known, the son stands up, makes the long journey back, and then knocks on the door of his father. The father opens the door and the son says, can I please come back and just be your slave? And in the original story, the father says, no, son, for community's sake and to keep the law, I cannot allow you to return. And he closes the door and the family holds the father and tells the father, you are a good father. The son walks away never to be seen. Fast forward to the Gospels. Jesus is surrounded by people who all know that story. And they're asking him, Jesus, you're always talking about the Heavenly Father. Tell us what the Heavenly Father is like. Tell us. Tell us what the Father is like. We want to know. And Jesus said, there was a man with two sons. And they all said, oh, we know this story. We know this one. Yeah, we, we figured that's what God was like. The law, the law, the law. Yes. We know exactly what he's going to say. And Jesus said, the father gave the son his inheritance. And he squandered it, ends up with pigs. And the son comes to his senses and says, being a slave is better than this. And so he gets up. And meanwhile, the father is looking for his son. And everyone starts, no, 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 Jesus. No, 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 that's not how the story goes. In, in fact, the father is out looking for his son. 
the father is avidly heart aching looking for his son Jesus you're getting the story wrong Jesus Jesus quiet down that's not how it goes and in fact the father sees the son afar off and the father is running to the son and they're saying Jesus what are you talking about this is a Middle Eastern culture men don't run Jesus said you want to know what God is like he is running after you and guess what when he catches you he's not there to punish you he's there to put his robe on you to put his ring on you he is there to call you by name his child never a slave his son his goodness and his mercy chasing you that's what your heavenly father is like
And so right now you're going to pray in your own words because the Lord knows you better than you know yourself. Pray in your own words and tell him, Lord, I want you. I am done doing it my way. I want your better, bigger, more abundant life. I know that won't mean that it's perfect. It won't mean that it's painless. But I want to live life for you. I'm done doing it my way. Take my sin. Take my shame. Take my hurts. Take even the good stuff, Lord, because my good stuff is still filthy compared to yours. Take it all, Lord. I'm yours. You're mine. I want to live life being led by you. Scripture is clear that all of heaven is rejoicing right now because of your decision. And at the end of service, we are going to have prayer partners here at the front. I want you to come tell someone that decision, even if it's the fifth time you've said yes to Jesus since, I don't know, midnight last night. I I need for you to come and tell someone because the enemy doesn't want you to partner. The enemy wants you to try and do it alone. And so I want you to do that. Number two, if you're here today and you want prayer right now because you want more of his anointing power in your life. You want more of the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit, not only to heal you, not only to prevent and protect his continual anointing, but you want his power, his power, right? Those keys to unlock those doors of the kingdom, not to the kingdom. Maybe you want a change of your thinking to to know that you know that your attention is on the overflow and not the lack. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to pray for you. I've got my hand up. I want more of his power. I want more of him. I want to make sure that my mind is set on exactly how much he has blessed us. Lord, you see our hands, God. We want more of you, Lord. We want more of the keys that you've provided, Jesus. We want to unlock everything that you have for us, God. We don't want to stand before you in eternity and you go, why didn't you open that door? You didn't, I had so many things for you. Lord, we want everything you have for us right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we ask for more of your Holy Spirit anointing in those dark places, Lord, those places that no one else has ever seen, those places that we're so terrified to tell anyone else about. Lord, we want more of you and your power. And Lord, we want you to change our thinking. God, we want you to show us your overflow. Bring our eyes and our attention, not to our lack, but to your overflow in our lives, God. And we thank you, Lord, because we're going to see those closed doors unlocked and opened in Jesus' name as we walk by faith and not by sight. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.